Hello and welcome to Let's Enter the Arena. I'm your host, VM Campos, and this is the podcast where I talk with a member of the Magic the Gathering community, where we focus on arena. Well, everyone, I hope you're staying a safe distance from everyone. I hope you're practicing the social distancing, unless it's with your family. Um, and hopefully you're at home being nice and safe and washing your hands and playing magic. So we continue the podcast because the great thing about doing a podcast is that I can talk with people from all over the world uh, safely. So we've got a return guest this week. Please welcome back to the podcast, Marshmallow Cat. Hello. That's me. We had slight technical difficulties, but I think we figured it all out. Maybe, uh, maybe computers can also get COVID-19. Did you ever think about that? <laughs> I, that was one of the first things that I was taught about computers as a very young child, is that they can get viruses <laughs> just like us. <laughs> yes. So this zero-day exploit that's happening all over the world is affecting everyone, but uh, I think we're going to make it. We just need to wash our hands, shelter in place, do all that good stuff, and of course, to stay to keep our sanity going, play some magic. Oh yeah, absolutely. You've got to have something to preoccupy yourself if you're going to be staying indoors for long periods of time. All of us introverts, you know, we, we can mm. help guide everybody else. But uh <laughs> it's our time to shine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, before we get on with the topics of the day, would you like to do a little self-promotion? Do you want to tell people about your Twitter or YouTube or anything at all? Oh, um, yeah, uh, my Twitter is uh, MarshmallowCat6. Uh, my YouTube is MarshmallowCatGaming. Um, I, I have actually created you know, some content on my Twitter mm -hmm. <laughs> to make up for it. Um, I have, it's, it's been a project that I wanted to do for a little bit, but I wanted to make, um, like how there's, you know, um, uh, just emoji hearts of varying colors and, and forms of pride and what have mm -hmm. you. I just wanted to make some for, uh, people's color identities. Oh, cool. So... Um, I still need to do all of the single color and the colorless one because I'm actually going to be putting the symbols on those. Yeah. Yeah, every color combination so far I have up uh, 256 by 256, just like Discord wants. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. And you're just uh, giving those out for anyone that would like to, to use it and share it on their own streams and such or on Discord? <laughs> It, it actually, I mean, feel free to use them in pretty much any capacity. Well, that's very nice. I think that's uh, something about that the magic community is very creative and helping and helpful. And so you creating some content for people to, to use, I think is very cool. So we've got some talking points to get to about magic. Um, the last time you were on the podcast was a sort of introduction to you to the podcast. I thank you so much for for being there on that first episode. And now we've got you back so we can talk a little bit more in detail. And one of the things I wanted to cover is, well, how was your magic life in 2019, be it strictly on arena or even on paper or anything like that? Anything you want to say about 2019 in general? I mostly played a lot of arena <laughs> um i have been enjoying historic a lot more oh. than i thought that seems to be the thing that like i come back to whenever i'm like just bored with standard yeah <laughs> it's just oh 
You can also play Historic. I've been doing pretty well with an Elf deck. Well, who would have thought that playing with more cards would be more good? Yeah. Oh, it's so much fun. I The Historic Brawl event, being able yeah. to cast Maelstrom Pulse was great. <laughs> <laughs> Did you play with it when it first came out? Because I never played with it, but I hear people waxing nostalgic oh, about that card. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, when I got back into Magic in college... Um, I stopped with Future Sight and then got back in with Zendikar, so Jund was the standard deck when mm -hmm. I got back in. Have you had any epic uh, historic games where that Maelstrom Pulse does its thing? Oh, um, it always feels really good to watch an opponent think that they've got you with a bunch <laughs> of tokens. <laughs> Every time, they just don't expect. <laughs> no one expects the Maelstrom Pulse. Nope. Mm -hmm. I've also liked Historic Brawl. I've been playing with uh, with various vampires. I really like the Ixalan block, and it, that was so full of vampires. And so I have a, a, a friendly brawl. Now, is it? are we supposed to call it friendly brawl or historic brawl? Because I see both of those names on Arena, and I'm confused. I, I think friendly brawl just doesn't have anything at all banned, and that's the difference. Hmm. where historic uses the historic band list but i don't know actually i haven't i haven't tried it <laughs> mm -hmm. in any event i've got a version of elenda what's her name elenda the dark the dusk rose i believe she's the vampire that um gets a plus one counter every time a creature dies and then when she dies and actually goes to the graveyard not to the command zone you get a bunch of one one tokens uh so i've been having fun with a black and white uh, vampire deck there what what other sort of like historic brawl uh you know decks have you have you enjoyed um i made a uh Kethis deck mm. um he was the uh what's the name for it asban the white black green legend yeah. from um m20 mm -hmm. and it's surprisingly easy when you're in three colors and have access to a larger pool of cards to make everything that you can legendary so that they all cost one less. Mm, okay. And then just being able to ditch two cards to cast all of your stuff back out of your graveyard again while they're also costing one less because I got this mm. is wild. <laughs> That's definitely a commander that I see when I'm up against someone. I, I, I'm thinking, okay, I've got to deal with Kethis right away. Uh, and he's a pretty low casting cost, right? Only three or four, or how much? Three mana for a three-four. That yeah. makes all of your spells cost one less if you if you build the deck around it. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. <laughs> really good body for the creature. They're in green, so you can even luck out if you build your deck that way and get them turn two with yeah. Lana War Elf or Gilded Goose. Mm -hmm. It's pretty wild. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Um, did you try any any drafting in 2019? Oh, yeah. I, I felt like I did really well with... Um, I feel like I did significantly better with Guilds of Ravnica than I did with Ravnica Allegiance in terms of drafting. Mm -hmm. But um, the bit of Allegiance drafting that I did, it it was fun, even if I didn't win the games. Yeah, <laughs> I, it was mostly you know adapt or not adapt, but um, 
my mind is blanking on mechanical names. On M20? But, uh, oh, uh, in in Ravnica Allegiance. Okay, Ravnica No, wait, Allegiance. Adapt was. Yeah, Adapt, Adapt was in Ravnica in there, Allegiance. Yeah. Somewhere there. I, I've seen every iteration of, of Ravnica so far, and it's mm. just... <laughs> Blending together. Sometimes I forget which ones are in, you know, which sets together and stuff, but yeah. Okay, so yeah, the Simic was was in that one. I have to break it to you, Extort was not recently in Arena. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that would be... Uh, a little while was, ago. That was fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was... They did two-headed giant events, and everyone was playing white-black because of the ah. fact that it hit both players for two. Mm -hmm. Or for both players for one, so a total of oh, two. But mm -hmm. yeah. Um... Yeah, I mostly played like Simic or Green Red and just tried to get really big dudes because it seemed like I could never get a proper controlish deck sort of together. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, swinging with big guys is really, really fun. <laughs> I think so too. Sometimes you just have to. Sometimes you just feel like uh, putting out big creatures. None of the none of this sort of like control shenanigans. Even though that could still be fun. You know, every way to play Magic is fun, of course. But I do. Uh, like casting a nice big creature and it's especially if it's got trample or some other sort of evasion that's always fun so i hear you about like some sets were a little bit better results because i remember i i couldn't quite crack m20 and throne of eldraine uh limited i remember i was if i got like two wins you know if i went two and three on those two sets, it was it was uh, it was good. But then, like on the first sets of the year, I was going like five and two, six and two if I got lucky. Which uh, I don't know what what I just wasn't able to crack the code for the later two sets of the year. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely relatable. Like I, the Throne of Eldraine pre-release, honestly, I think. Um, gave me a little bit of overconfidence in limited <laughs> <laughs> because i just happened to open a really really good knight's deck at the pre-release mm -hmm. and so i just kind of thought oh well this is probably something that i can keep making happen and it's like it's not that it, it obviously is an archetype it just seems i don't tend to do <laughs> as well with it as i happen to do with the pre-release and was that uh, three color or two color knights um, the pre-release one was uh, a full three color. It was a very light splash on black, uh, just for some removal, mm -hmm. because I mostly had, you know, like the double striking knights. I think I had a couple copies. That was the big thing, is I had two um, inspiring veterans. No, oh, okay. So that... I mean, I don't know. It kind of feels like you have to play knights at that point. <laughs> yeah, getting drawn to in that direction sounds like it. Now, speaking of that pre-release, did you do very many other uh, in-real-life pre-releases in 2019? Um, unfortunately, not. I I wanted to make the, the War of the Spark one, but um, something came up that weekend. Mm -hmm. um, the Throat of the L-Train one was absolutely fun. Um, I the, the only other in-person event I think I've been to this year... Uh, was just like a commander night at a local place yeah. like about a month ago and that was pretty fun mm -hmm. but yeah most most of my magic has been just 
trying to get rank in standard or <laughs> yeah. being tired of trying to get rank in standard and doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, going back to historic, like uh, that's a vi viable thing. I just hope that uh, Wizards continues to have the, the ladder in historic at all times. You know, more game modes to play more magic is more good. Bad grammar aside. And so um, mm -hmm. I hope they continue the the uh, the historic stuff. I didn't get a chance to do too much in real life pre-release. I did go to the um, War of the Spark pre-release in 2019, and I did go then to the uh, Theros Beyond Death one this year in 2020. So that was fun. And I made a little bit of a goal or... Um, what are they called? Uh, New Year's resolution to try to to go out to them this year. In theory, there's four of them per year. That um, shouldn't be too bad. Uh, although now with uh, you know the state of the world as it is, we'll see how that goes. But that was my goal, and we'll see. I'll see if I'll be able to get out there to uh, to try some of those pre-releases. Yeah, they they are so much fun. It's 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 surprising because I. You'd think a bunch of people who who most of them arguably are introverted nerds all mm. getting into one spot would just be a bunch of awkwardness, but <laughs> nah, it's, it's it's for 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 anyone listening to this who hasn't been to you know like an in person event at all, you absolutely should. Like mm -hmm. the the people there probably are just as nervous as you are. But they love the game just as much as you do, and you will always find people to talk about magic with, like, no matter what you're doing, no matter what format you're playing. Mm -hmm. It's, I just, I remember my very first free release when I was in middle school was oh. Betrayers of Kamigawa. <laughs> mm -hmm. Were you one of the younger people there, do you remember? Oh yes, yeah. I I definitely, definitely had the uh, saw saw the look in the eye from the older gentleman across the way of him, just you know, <laughs> like just just chuckling a little bit, you know, just seeing a kid be a kid, and it's like yeah. so, so. Some of the older people, even at that point, had been playing the game for ten plus years. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so. It's just has a, a long running and very cool and chill community. I think so. When I went to the War of the Spark one last year, unfortunately, it was that that local shop was about to close and it was like a big last hurrah. And it was full. It was full of people of all age ranges. There was there were a few. There were, I, I played against a guy that had played in the in the late nineties, like myself, and we reminisced about those times. And then I, I played another uh, a couple of other uh, two uh, players that were seemed to have just gotten into it very very recently, and probably also because of arena. So that was just a huge range of people, and everyone was. Uh, pretty nice and uh, just wanting being there to play magic it's a shame that that shop closed but uh for the throne uh, for the theros beyond death i went to a different shop and um i guess because i went on a sunday it was a little bit lower key i'm sure friday or saturday was the um was their big time but it was still fun to go there and i actually uh, had fun even though i went zero and three but i got some fun cards and found some strategies and talked to people about magic I, I think I think that's the biggest and like most fun thing about talking to other people 
is is just learning how other people approach the game and being able to apply that to your own game. Because, I mean, there's always going to be someone on the other side of the table if you're playing Magic or on the yeah. other side of the computer screen. And, like, knowing how they think and how they're going to approach what's going on will help you strategically. And mm. so, you know, like... yeah. Get to know the players, not just because they're people you're going to have to hang out with for a long time if you're doing it, you know, mm-hmm. in public, but like just get to know how people, how people approach the game, the level of severity they take it, all of that sort of stuff. There's just a very wide group of people. I think that's one of the possible negatives of only playing magic digitally is that you do forget perhaps that there is another player on the other side of the screen and i think if people like you said earlier if they have not been to a pre-release definitely if when it's safe when it's viable do it because you're not just battling a computer it's not just pixels on the screen when you're on arena there is another person on the other side of the screen and to be able to play with real people it is a different experience it is still a fun experience and using these cards in real life that you had digitally that's another experience that i think people should go for <laughs> it's it reminds me of just i mean like the, the the jokes about like the physical cards themselves and how they you know they like smell or how they have <laughs> addictive tastes you know all of that sorts of things like don't eat the tasty cards Yes, exactly. Don't eat the delicious cards. Yes. <laughs> it's it really is a totally different experience. Like I I almost feel more relaxed sometimes a lot when it comes to playing paper because of, mm-hmm. you know, the timer in arena and stuff like that and it oh, kind of just it can it can be much more casual when you're just looking at another person and realizing you know, you're just playing a game. Like, <laughs> yeah. The gathering part of Magic the Gathering. Yeah, exactly. That's that's why it's there, because you can't really play a social game unless you have social friends. <laughs> yeah. Although people are getting pretty creative. Did you see that one, um, that one tweet about, like, if you take two uh, bundle boxes and you cut them in just the right way, you can make yourself a makeshift tripod for your cell phone so you can then uh do some uh some virtual magic gameplay with real cards oh i actually haven't seen that that sounds rad just like having video of both of you being yeah. able to see each other's battlefields and things ah oh, that's that's really cool i like that a lot yeah i forgot who tweeted it probably someone saffron olive or someone some big name in the community i think and they had they had a little uh they had retweeted someone else's tweet about, you know, if you take two of those bundle boxes, which probably a lot of us have because we, we get cards physically oftentimes, you can cut it in such a way that it makes a kind of cool tripod to, uh, to, to be able to stream physical games. So uh, that might be a way to, to be able to uh, follow through. Yeah, Battlefield FaceTime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So once they eventually implement 
that on Arena, that might be a fun way to also... I like how they added the... Uh, eventually that they added, but thankfully that they added the chat feature. So I've been using that to chat with uh, uh, my, my friends on Arena. So that's been nice. Um, but what would you say about the sets that were released in 2019 on Arena? Um, any one of them that stands out to you as your favorite, for example? There were... Ravnica Allegiance released, War of the Spark, Corsa 2020, and Throne of Eldraine. All of those were released in 2019, and that was about 1,500 cards put into the system. So any thoughts on that? Um, I definitely think my favorite out of all of those has got to be War of the Spark, just because how much it pushed like Planeswalkers and what they're doing with them. Mm -hmm. I... It almost feels like some of the things that they did, they could have been doing, like, a lot more. But I remember seeing, like, Tumblr posts uh, from Mark Rosewater and such, basically them just saying, like, we were kind of intentionally trying to slow our roll as we've been making Planeswalkers throughout the years so that we don't, you know, expand on all of the ideas and then we just can't keep making cool ones. Yeah. And it seems like that this was... This was one of the moments where it was just, we have to make 36 of them, so yeah. let's do what we can. Like, And mm. there's still much more that they can do. But just, I'm, I'm glad that that set shows that there can be a lot of different and varied Planeswalkers like in Standard, and it's not too big of a deal, which yeah. hopefully means they'll be printing more of them regularly. Mm -hmm. That was definitely an interesting design space where they had always been mythic. Well, when they first debuted in uh, Lorwyn, they were rare because there was no such thing as mythic rare. But they've always been mythic rare after that. And the upper echelon of rarity, harder to get, etc. And then War of the Spark, well, they were going to go with rare and uncommon planeswalkers. And as we've seen, for example, with Narset, even at the uncommon planeswalker you can still do some very interesting things some very powerful things so i don't doubt there is more design space on planeswalkers and i enjoyed war of the spark a lot as well i think for me it's tied between throne of eldraine i think throne of eldraine maybe because of the like the the lore and the vorthos of it all but uh, gameplay was also pretty cool oh yeah eldraine was Eldraine was great. One of the reasons that showing up to the pre-release was so cool is because people were dressed up in, oh. in costumes. Like, That's cool. The uh, the guy doing all of the announcements and stuff was, you know, in like full gear, emoting like he was like Shakespeare and stuff. <laughs> and, like, it was it was great. That sounds so much fun, and it feels like Throne of Eldraine is a little bit more cosplayable than other. Other planes, perhaps, like you kind of really have to deck yourself out if you're doing Ixalan cosplay, because like uh, I, you can't really find too many like Spanish conquistador-esque helmets that easily and like cosplaying as a dinosaur and such. But then Throne of Eldraine, it feels like people can put together a type of a knight outfit, not too complicatedly, maybe maybe some fairies and such. So maybe that has something to do with it and the whole, you know, uh, Shakespearean or Arthurian legend and fairy tale sort of aesthetic maybe a little easier to pull off. Oh yeah, it's it's significantly it's significantly easier to try to go, you know, find things for a costume that's for something that's, you know, been around for ages and everyone knows the story of as a compared to, you know, trying to dress up like a Leonin or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Also, I must point out, because I just absolutely love it, the, uh, the gender non-specific sir is oh, yeah. absolutely great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it just, they, it, very simple, very elegant, just changed in a letter, and yeah. then, yeah, it's not gendered anymore, and that's... Good job, wizards. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. Very cool nod to inclusive into inclusivity. Not even a nod, an actual action of inclusivity. Very cool. I sort of pronounce it slightly different in my mind, actually. I don't really say it too often in real life, I guess. Uh, but I'm not saying it exactly as sir, my like sire or sir. I don't know how I pronounce it slightly in my brain, but it's really cool that it's um that it's non-gendered and we we had we had some pretty cool knights in each of those colors with that moniker so that was also enjoyable cards to to play with along with um with some uh, diversity uh aspects so besides the um the sets that came out on arena did you find any sets in paper in real life that you also enjoyed did you get maybe any modern horizons or any commander products or anything like that I didn't get any in particular myself, but my girlfriend, um, I did believe, uh, I believe did, let's, mm. <laughs> grammar, um, she <laughs> opened in Urza, I believe it was. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that was, that was just cool to witness. <laughs> yeah, one of the most influential new uh legendary cards definitely i hear if you put that in the right deck it's pretty powerful what you can do pretty pretty gross what you can do and really dominate oh yeah yeah i mean blue and artifacts i've been doing that for pretty much ever but yeah yeah (laughs) it's it's very fitting for for urza to make such a uh busted deck viable when uh the sets named after him led to combo winter yeah. And all of all of those dark days. Now that was Urza's saga, Urza's destiny, Urza's legacy. Is that is that the three? Yeah, yeah. That was that was the block. I I believe um, Mark Rosewater once said uh, that was that was the only time that we have actually been called in by like higher ups and told hey you broke the game too hard don't do that ever again (laughs) yeah i listen to his podcast all the time and i remember him talking about that exactly like they got chewed out and it's like so strong and then the result of that was mercadian masks next yeah which was other than like richard port and bribery (laughs) i don't remember a whole lot from that era oh rebels yeah oh yeah the pendulum swings, and perhaps at the moment it's oh, also yeah. swung to the point of very powerful stuff with like Oko, Thief of Crowns, and Once Upon a Time, and Veil of Summer, and all of these bannings that happened recently. But, you know, uh, there is a pendulum swing, and maybe maybe we'll go back a little bit to slightly less powerful stuff. Uh, I know a previous guest of the of the podcast, uh, Rosla, was just saying that she hopes that we we do kind of slow things down a little bit, and I think that would be nice. I think uh, back and forth a little bit of times, not just overpowered all the time, would make the game uh, hum along pretty well. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, the nature of the game is that there's always going to be a meta and there's always certain decks that you need to look out for, but in my opinion, I think Standard is significantly more fun when you can actually feel like you can get some wins with like a tier 2 or tier 1.5 deck as opposed to just I have to play these decks or I'm Mm. not going to do well tonight at Friday Night Magic. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. So things being slowed down would definitely help that a lot. Mm -hmm. So was there any set in 2019, perhaps that was the opposite, speaking of the pendulum swing, that it wasn't very enjoyable or or that you didn't quite like? I mean, not really that I can think of. Like, I, I guess M20 was mostly, I, I guess I'll go with that one being like the, the most disappointing of them. Mm-hmm. Is, is the way that I would put it. I know the decks needed to be banned, but I was very <laughs> much a person who was immediately excited to start playing with Field of the Dead because <laughs> I used to play Valakut back in the old uh, days, and I was like, okay. oh, this is just colorless Valakut, but like you get dudes instead of direct damage. Uh-huh. And yeah, the, the deck... The, the <laughs> The deck and and Veil of Summer and all of that, like, immediately getting banned soured me to the game for a little bit until, like, until I just, you know, started playing other decks and stuff. But, yeah, I don't know. I was personally really excited to play with a card, and then it immediately got banned, and honestly, uh, yeah. definitely should have, but... yeah. Uh, well, at least you didn't have, like, maybe... Did, did you have the physical cards as well, or just on Arena? Oh no! I, I I just had the ones on Arena. I <laughs> I was actually considering getting back into playing Friday Night Magic regularly, mm-hmm. and then the bannings happened. So if that had happened after I bought the tag, yeah. I would have been significantly more salty about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least I think I think we got some wild cards from it. So hopefully, you were able to use those for other decks. Oh yeah, totally. I pretty much any deck that I have some amount of red in, I guess other than mono red, I have at least a copy of Chandra in, just because like she's just an uncounterable clock against a control deck if mm-hmm. they're if if they, you know if they leave mana open. I was about to say which Chandra. We just got a bunch of them, but when you said uncounterable, okay, we know which one. Which one yeah. you mean now? Yeah, yeah, yeah the, yeah. the mythic from the core set. Oh my yeah. god, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I definitely should keep that in mind because it's I. It's a little bit of a problem that sometimes I feel occurs <laughs> just in, in magic discussions that I I should be more aware of by this point is mm-hmm. just people referring to you know what they what they consider the playables yeah. and and not thinking of the other things or so to speak but it's like the four cost genre probably sees more play than the six cost one honestly <laughs> i think Artisan. so yeah the, is she the one that makes a bunch of little devils uh for a moment 
Oh, she's no. Um, I was talking about the the four drop one in Water the Spark that like temporarily draws you cards, and then when she takes counters off, I think she might oh, have okay. started seeing less play recently in red because like Embercleave can just yeah. surprise win games. Yeah, I've been seeing the one that makes a couple of little demons to then try to do like a mono red thing. And then Torbran is out there and those little demons make even more damage. And then I've seen that Chandra in a Rakdos build where with a little sacrifice thrown in. So when you when you make those uh, zero loyalty one ones with your sack engine, like um, what's that one little demon on a on a hellish unicycle called again? Um Rakdos. Mayhem Devil, yes. Have you looked at the card on that uh, carefully? Have you noticed that it is like a like a, a little devil on a unicycle from Heck? I actually did not see the unicycle at all. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes significantly more sense for the Rakdos. Yes. I I called him, you know, Cirque du Soleil from Hell. Um, I wasn't yeah. playing. I wasn't playing Magic in when they were first introduced on original Ravnica and returned to Ravnica. But uh, now that we've gotten returned to return to Ravnica, I'm pretty pretty well acquainted with them. Let's ask that question. I suddenly thought of that. Which uh, particular Ravnican guild might you identify with more? Oh, is it? I oh, mean, okay. that's not a, a surprising answer from most Magic players. But yeah, the, is that mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely? I. They're probably why I stuck with magic mm-hmm. just as like a whole. <laughs> yeah. I I had always when I first got into magic, my favorite set was Apocalypse. Huh. Because the the I the idea of of enemy color combinations just in terms of the world yeah. and them being called enemy colors and all of that, just the dichotomy was really, really cool to me. And then when I learned that they were doing a whole bunch of sets where it was, you know, every other, every two-color combination, I <laughs> just, like, I, I honestly, as as much as I say that, like, the is it or what sold me, I think it was really when they previewed Glimpse the Unthinkable and Lightning Helix. Yeah. When I just realized, oh, putting two colors of mana together... Can get you really, really good stuff, and I don't know. It mm-hmm. just I, I like I said I was used to mostly like Mirrodin and Kamigawa mm-hmm. at the time, so there wasn't too much for multicolor stuff besides Invasion. Yeah, and and even if there was, it was it was allied colors because when I first played, I played between 1995 and 1999, and back then it really was the separation about these are enemy colors or these are allied colors. There was an old card called Stench of Evil. It was a mono black card, I think only for three mana, and what it did was destroy all planes and also deal two damage to players with planes for every plane that they had. So it was definitely that black and white was not getting along there, or it was definitely that, uh, what else, red and white was would not get along. There was one called something like maybe Flash Fires or something, and that one also was a red spell that destroyed all lands if they were planes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's, uh, yeah, flash fires and boil. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Those sorts of cards where it's, I'm glad 
that they decided to bring like protection and those sorts of those sorts of cards back for M20, even if they did have to ban one. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, they did. They took a pre-existing card and added draw a card to it, but didn't change its mana cost. Mm-hmm. That was that was entirely on them. <laughs> so there was Veil vale of Summer, but there was originally Autumn of Summer or something like that. Autumn of Veil vale or something. Autumn's Veil, vale, I Autumn's think it was vale. called. Yeah, pretty sure it was Autumn's Veil. Vale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember seeing the first meme when someone said, "Oh, they banned this one. Well, just go back to the original one." Well, they said it jokingly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. joking, more, more jokingly than that, but uh, that was the idea. I was like, oh, okay, well, this is like a, a new iteration of it. This is the power creeped version of it, but there's still another version out there if people want to play it in modern or, or wherever else. Mm-hmm. I really hope that if they are going to like continue to have these sorts of interactions that they do it like in corsets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Just because I, I, I don't think it's bad if it shows up in other worlds and stuff like that but it lets them with the corsets be a little bit more uh i guess unbiased is the way to put it in terms of putting what they need to into the meta mm-hmm. plus it doesn't have to be tied with a specific lore or plane it can be a little bit of a grab bag where if a certain card or mechanic wouldn't conceptually fit in like a greek inspired world well we can put it in the hodgepodge of a of a core set so i think that's a good that's a good strategy for them to to put stuff in there yeah i mean that's i guess to an extent that's kind of what the core sets have have been for a while so i'm really glad that they're back Mm -hmm. but yeah i (laughs) I hate to call this one disappointing because it definitely got some things right, but uh, I the the Cavaliers as cool as they may be are no Titans. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, for the younger whippersnappers that weren't playing when they were Titans, they're pretty epic. Uh, but if you oh if you yeah have a longer, sure. if you have a longer memory or have played longer than. That's the thing that's, I think, really cool that whenever, whatever point people start playing Magic, they're going to have memories of, well, in my day, it was this or that. And every generation gets cool stuff. So uh, those Cavaliers. Uh, Did you ever play on Arena, the event where people could try out right before Theros Beyond Death? We had we had an event where you could play the uh, sort of a Planeswalker deck of, of the new Planeswalkers. Oh, yeah, it was the was it the Ashiok and Elspeth one? Yeah, the one where you could actually play with a Black Lotus and and Moxes and all of that and I bring it up because uh my opponent was able to through an amazing draw was able to play a Black Lotus, probably also a Mox and one land and then on turn 1 they had the Cavalier of Dawns ready to beat me down. Oh, dang. That is <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that sounds the the closest I've ever had to that experience specifically was a cube draft where my opponent went uh landmox lotus turn one baneslayer angel. No, ah, okay. and that is that's that's what lotus does. That acceleration, like if yeah. it's the right permanent, it's just I hope you have like unsummon. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. It, uh, it's fun. It is. It is. It's just exciting to cast to those cards, even if you don't necessarily do things with them, especially yeah. with their with their new artwork being as pretty as it is. 
Yeah. Those classic cards that they're that they're called the Power Nine for a reason and um, I thought that was a pretty cool event that they did, although it felt it was very short. I, I know I played it, but other people that I've talked to on the podcast, they, they said they didn't get a chance to play because I, I feel that it was only like a two or three day event or so. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't too many days because I think you only needed like three wins to get all of the payout for it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm a little surprised that they didn't do it for longer because of, you know, people wanting to be able to cast Ancestral Recalls on themselves, or um, in my case, being able to beat somebody down with a Sword of Fire and Ice again felt really good. (laughs) Did that have any cool animation when it happened? Surprisingly, no. Mm -hmm. I, I don't remember who the artist of of the the sword is i don't know if that ha- would have anything to do with it but no i i don't remember seeing one but then mm-hmm. again i some amount of my arena play was on a uh, a laptop where i had it both uh <laughs> i i had both the, the graphics turned lower and i had the uh sound muted that's actually nah. that's an odd some people might be able to relate to this a little bit, but um, when I was growing up as an incredibly young whippersnapper, <laughs> um, back in the old days of Game Boys, sure. my mother would just complain pretty much any time my Game Boy was making too much noise, so I got used to playing a lot of games just muted, oh. kind of... You know, if I'm in a room with other people, I'll just play the game muted so that I don't bother anyone. And it's gotten to the point where I only play Arena muted now because I'm just not <laughs> used to any of the sounds it makes. Oh, wow. <laughs> hmm. Which is kind of... I it, it does seem a bit odd considering how much, how much work people put into that sure. sort of stuff. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's just, like I said, it's a, it's a thing that carried over from my childhood that I don't know. Yeah. But it's also carried over from classic magic play. When we played cards back oh, before yeah, digital, true. they didn't make sound. <laughs> they didn't have Timoret screaming at us like he does now on arena. Exactly. That's one of my favorite animations, actually. It's kind of over the top, but it's like Timoret, when he when you summon him, his mask flies at you and he screams right at your face. And I kind of love it, but I know that people have mentioned that it's kind of over the top. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're going to have an animation in a game like this, it probably should be over the top to like mm-hmm. represent characters properly. So. <laughs> So I might already know your answer to this, but would you be able to pick a favorite card of 2019? Before the banning, Field of the Dead. Yes. After the banning. Uh, <clears throat> that's that's going to be a little bit difficult. Uh, probably, I really like Shatter the Sky. No. Oh as their option for, you know, like, we still want to have a four-mana sweeper, but it should have a drawback. Yeah. Like, I, um... Actually, no. I think I'm going to pick Elspeth Conquers Death. No. Just just because only of it being a good card, but it being, you know, the saga that it is, 
I so many people were happy to see Elspeth again. Yeah. <laughs> as as someone who had to play against um Shards of Alara, Elspeth Knight Errant constantly mm. just sending four four flying soldiers at you. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh very, very good card, a very good character. Oh, very nice. That segues us perfectly into uh, into the final sort of topic in terms of Theros Beyond Death in general. How would you rate it or how would you talk about it, That the latest, uh, the newest return to Theros? Really good. <laughs> <laughs> it was just... It nailed a lot of things that people... I don't know. I, I get, it met expectations super well, and then the story that it did on top of that, I really liked. Um, Saga's coming back because, of course, Theros is going to have an enchantment theme was such a good idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just because of it also being a very historied world, it worked a lot well, a lot with the themes of it. Um, enchantment creatures... I've always loved enchantment creatures. Like one of my favorite cards from Future Sight was the three-three flyer, hmm. just because it was the only enchantment creature ever made. Like, yeah, I I started with uh, Darksteel and Mirrodin around there, so I always thought artifact creatures were cool, and then they did enchantment creatures. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I got back into Magic in 2017. I played against someone that uh, it was his brother's uh, th original Theros deck. And when he cast an enchantment creature, I had to stop and say, wait a minute, enchantment creatures, can they do that? Because I had played up until about 1999, and then I stopped all the way for a long time until 2017. So there was a lot of things that I missed. And when Ben played that one card and I said, well, so that means you can disenchant it to kill it? And he said, yes, welcome back to magic. <laughs> yeah, I, that is one of, uh, one of my favorite things about the game is that it's, the rules are, are so intensive and, and structured in like a very specific way that it just kind of feels like a sandbox that you can play with, I guess, which mm -hmm. the designers, of course, probably love. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just, just being able to put the two things together and be like, well, why why not? It makes sense mechanically. It's mm -hmm. both things. Why? Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> it, it definitely is funny to be like, but, but, but can they do that? And it's like, they've got like 400 pages of rules saying they can, I'm pretty sure. So. Yeah. <laughs> and if not, sometimes you do a little bend and things will work anyway. Oh, yeah. Like, they've they've done stuff like that and had to, to change rules to fit cards. And like, well, not entirely change yeah. rules, I guess, but... Sometimes it's just the wording isn't good enough for a particular card or mechanic to work the way that you want. And it's, I don't know, it being an ever-growing, ever-changing, just beast of sheer creativity is one of the coolest parts. <laughs> mm -hmm. So 
Is there any card in Theros at the moment that you're enjoying? I guess these these aren't exclusive to Theros, but they came back because of Theros. I think the Scry lands are probably like the coolest set of lands that they've ever done, hands down. Like as as awesome as it is that the Shock lands can come in untapped for that like two life. Yeah. Just the the payoff of the one mana for the Scry one is just so it works in every color, no matter what deck you're playing for it just being like, you know, small incremental advantage and all of that sort of stuff compared to keeping it tapped down. Yeah. Probably the one that I'm having the surprising amount of fun with, uh, <laughs> because I'm not usually the, 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 the most of a big green player, actually, surprisingly, is um, Pelucranos. Hmm. That's the kind of like uh, dog or beast that comes back from the uh, uh, from from escape. Oh yeah, yeah, Pelucranos Unchained. Uh, they were a uh, mythic legendary Hydra in original yeah. Theros, which actually had a kind of similar, um, kind of similar applications. It had a monstrosity, and oh, then yeah. it essentially got to like do damage. And then, like, pseudo-fight based on how monstrous it got. Mm -hmm. But Pelucranos now just being undead (laughs) as a Hydra. Just the heads fall off and it's fine because it'll come back with 12 later. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, these escape cards have been pretty interesting that you get one version of of the item when you first have it. And then when it comes back, when it escapes from the graveyard, it's... It's been changed somehow, oftentimes a little stronger and does other cool stuff. So that's really cool uh, on that. And did you notice on that, the art on that Pelucranos, that some of the heads look like a different color, like they had regrown after they had been cut off? Probably by Elspeth, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, I... (laughs) It is just wild to see like the little details in the art and stuff like that because if you <laughs> it's funny because if you pre if you look at it from the perspective of someone playing like paper, it's like they're literally just why are they putting so much detail into this like tiny part of it and sure. it's, it's because it matters mm-hmm. like this is this is someone's beautiful piece of art like bringing your world like to life and stuff and just all of the i don't know definitely there's a lot of talented artists out there creating a lot of great little works of art that you can uh that you can gaze upon oh yeah exactly and and the the <laughs> It's funny because most magic players, as as we've you know, as we've mentioned on specifically this podcast a couple of times, like you recognize the card by the art. It seems like a lot, but you don't always fully look at the art. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, like on uh, Field of the Dead, did you notice that within the cracked earth there are actually zombies coming out that the artist did draw in? Yeah. Yeah, very, very cool stuff. I, (laughs) oh, that card. Sorry, just 
It makes me sad thinking about it. I think the one of the main reasons that it's so upsetting to me is because I felt like I had to stop playing Valakut because the meta changed and everyone was playing Callblade. So mm-hmm. I just I don't know. Maybe so it reminded <laughs> Tiny you personal of the... gripe. Yeah. Uh, okay. It, it like it kind of came back to you from the original time that this change at the moment changed your your favorite deck again, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love how I keep talking about how I'm not a green player and constantly bringing up very green strategies and decks <laughs> that I've built. <laughs> you have to let your green mage out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely just about what's fun. Yeah. If the deck is fun, that's what you should be doing. Like... I completely understand anyone who's tournament grinding and finding, you know, finding glory and the victory and all of that sort of stuff. It's yeah. just, I don't know. As long as people remember that it is a game and mm. that having fun is the point of playing a game, like, I don't know. Like, it's 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 a mindset that it feels like you don't see as much in other like super competitive games and stuff like that but mm. it's i don't know it, it's nice to even see like like professional magic players you know say things like a little bit similar because it's that that's what it is we're all just a bunch of nerds <laughs> having fun loving this crazy wild multiverse that's been created over these many many years and all of the the colors of magic and what they represent. I think that's one of the strongest points of magic. Just when we when I asked you earlier about which guild do I do you identify, and you sort of like snap picked, is it? I think a lot of people identify with the colors, with the lore of it, and I completely agree in terms of keeping it fun. It is something to strive for. Yes, climbing the ladder or getting that reward or the gold or whatever, and getting all those wins, but it's still a game. And hopefully people still take time off when they need to, step away for a moment, play a fun jank deck, and maybe not always be as competitive as necessary. A lot of people are not playing Magic like professionally, and once you maybe make that decision to play professionally, okay, yeah, it's a different mentality. But for like 99% of people, I, I would wager, it's just for the fun of it. And yes, some prestige and some dopamine hit of pleasure that you won but it should still be a fun Mm -hmm. sort of thing yeah exactly even if you're going in for the point of trying to be as 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 good at it as you can be and always learning and stuff like that like you learn off of losses yeah like you you were given an example of what not to do or you were shown your opponent's nut draw and you did your best and that was all that you can do like it's just on top of everything going on it's also just a game a chance and sometimes that's just how it shuffles yeah <laughs> yeah i i've had a few times where everything's going well and maybe flood with two mana on a turn and my opponent doesn't and that's just the random nature of it all and so okay shuffle up and play again next next match yeah 
Exactly. Everyone's got that story. (laughs) Well, as we wind down, any final thoughts on anything in Magic 2019 or Magic 2020? Any maybe one of the future sets that have been, uh, the names at least have been announced? Any one of those stand out? Not particularly. (laughs) I... I, I guess the, the, the one thing that was released recently and I hope continues to be a thing is uh, more silver-boarded sets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, like, Unhinged was was also a very big and formative set for me as, as a middle schooler playing this game. Mm. <laughs> and... Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it, it ties into my point, because it's literally a whole set about things not being taken seriously. Yeah. But yeah, it's... I don't know. I, I, I don't want to make it sound like like I'm talking down on those people, like, at all. I, I consider myself a very, fairly technical player of the game, and all of that sort of stuff. It's mm. just... I've personally played other games where it got to the point where I just... I I was doing it because I thought I liked it because I was good at it and I just wasn't having fun anymore. And that's... it, It... When it's, like... It almost feels like you're losing part of yourself when that sort of stuff happens. So really, like... It's okay to take breaks. It's okay to step away. It's okay... To say, you know what, I'm just going to show up with 56 swamps and 4 pack rats and then just mulligan until I find pack rats. You do you. like. <laughs> yeah. There's just so many ways to play Magic and everyone should play the way that they want and enjoy what they want. So I think that's good advice for everyone at all levels of Magic. Yeah, definitely. Well, Kat, would you like to promote one more time? Where can people find you online? Uh, uh, my Twitter is at MarshmallowCat6. Uh, yes, like the cable, but with a K, not a C. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, MarshmallowCatGaming is my YouTube channel. And I believe uh, my Twitch is MarshmallowCatMagic. I was going to have a Twitch separate for magic and other stuff. And then I thought that was kind of silly. So that's why it came that way. Mm -hmm. Oh, very cool. Thank you for that. I'll put that in the show notes. Get people to go check you out. Um, Did you... Did you say, do you have like a specific uh, time perhaps when when you stream or maybe upload content or any sort of schedule? Um, nothing in particular, but I do talk about the things that I'm working on on my Twitter before they happen. Um, so I, I would definitely like to have a significantly more, at at least in terms of streaming, like being able to do that once a week very soon. I feel like I should be able to get things set up because that. If I'm having problems with the video recording, then I might as well go Mm. that route until I figure that out. Sure. Yeah, maybe you'll stumble upon something that uh, fixes the issue while you're you're streaming and people are uh, uh, yelling out answers and you figure it out live on the stream, perhaps. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Chat solves the YouTube upload crisis, part one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, speaking of streaming, I... 
I stream every Saturday and Twitch simul streaming. Um, I just made it to Twitch affiliate a couple of weeks ago, so that's been cool. Unlocking some new stuff for uh, for the for the viewers. Uh, I'm just about to get to the 1,000 uh, subscriber threshold on YouTube. Very proud of that. It's taken a while, but I'm just about to get there. And so that's the main thing that I'm promoting now nowadays. My YouTube, my Twitch. I've also got Twitter. People can go check me out. I'm VM Campos all over the place. Just search me on any network. I've also got this podcast. I've got uh, Patreon and a website and all of that. It's all VM Campos all the way down. So thank you one more time, Marshmallow Cat, for visiting the podcast. Yeah, of course. It's uh, always great being on. Glad to return. We'll definitely have you on in in time, probably back to talk about some behemoths or what's going on in Corset 2021 or that sort of thing. So, Yeah, hopefully, hopefully I'll have a, a better color hosers to talk about that don't get me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe we could talk about, like, can you believe they banned that? Or can you believe they didn't ban that? Yeah, that's that's always the more fun ones. I can't believe they didn't ban it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not the focus of this podcast, but can you believe that they didn't ban anything in Pioneer? I honestly, yeah, I hmm. am a bit surprised. I... <laughs> Yeah, I hear other podcasts that are way more invo- informed talking about why didn't they ban the Delver uh, or, or Breach decks uh, pieces and such. But again, that's a little out of our scope, but we've all got opinions, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I I started to look into Pioneer a bit recently, and it was just I saw a deck that can kill you with an 11-11 trampling double striker on turn <laughs> two, and I said, oh, okay, yeah. maybe later. Yeah. <laughs> Once the dust settles. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, one more time. Thanks for being on the podcast. Hope you have uh, a good night. And don't forget to wash your hands. Yeah, will do. And everybody else listening better as well. (laughs) Have a good night. This has been VM Campos, and I'll see you in the arena.